Well, hello, travellers. Welcome again to another Phil Hoffman Travel Podcast. Joining me to talk about Egypt from the Glenelg office, Melanie Wynn. Lovely to see you, Melanie. Hey, Liv. How are you going? Very well, thank you. When we think of Egypt, when we're growing up as kids and we're in school, we know maybe three things. We know the pyramids, we know the Sphinx, and we know it's hot. That's it. Yeah. But you're going to tell us a lot more about Egypt today. That's it, yeah. I'll, I'll correct you on the hot thing, actually. Um, I remember going out to um, Cairo one summer from London. In fact, it was 2003. Hottest summer day recorded in Gravesend, Kent. Uh, 37 degrees. Got out to Cairo and um, met Sharif. Um, they're all called Sharif out there, just like uh, Omar Sharif, the old actor. Um, he said, hot enough for you there, Melanie? And I said, no, actually, Sharif. I said, it's hotter back in London than it is here in Cairo. So um, Cairo can actually experience almost sort of Mediterranean-like climates. Yeah, right. It's when you get down to the south, down to Aswan and Luxor, that it's truly mm. hot. Because like I think baking. I think you see the sand and you see the pyramid. Yeah, and, exactly. And it looks yeah. hot, yeah, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's not uh, anywhere near as hot. In fact, in winter, it gets positively wintry. You know, um, northern hemisphere winter, we're talking sort of between that November, sort of February, March sort of period. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen a photo of the pyramids in rain. I don't think no, it... and that and that's probably a good thing actually, uh, because it's it's probably one of the reasons why they mm. remain the pretty much the last um, ancient wonder of the world. Is it as magical as we expect when you go into Egypt? Is it like nothing you've seen? Oh, uh, do you know what? Like it's um, I say to people, there's a couple of things that have you know, blown my mind over the years. Um, I would say um, up up there in the top three because I haven't been out to Machu Picchu yet. Um, would be probably the Twin Towers, uh, the World Trade Center, because they were just 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 ginormous, um, completely man-made, of course. And then if uh, the other one would be the Taj Mahal, that mm. really sort of um, catches you, you know, yep. when you see that for the first time up close. And then of course the uh, the pyramids. As we drove sort of towards them, you could see them peeking out of um, the Cairo metropolis, um, and they're like a, a couple of um, great sandy sort of Toblerones. And you're immediately caught by how gigantic they are. Mm. I mean, they, they are truly gigantic. Um, and there were three, of course. Um, uh, Cheops, Chefren and My Serena says they're regarded in their sort of Romanized sort of uh, terms. Uh, Kalfra, as it's known locally, the big pyramid, the Cheops Pyramid, um, two and a half million limestone blocks. Amazing. I'm five foot four and each block would be almost four foot high um, and stacked so closely together you mm. can't even fit a full scat piece of paper between them and this was before the advent of um, computers and uh, um, isosceles triangles yep. and all sorts of other things you know uh, but it's amazing I've seen photos of the pyramids where they've taken a wide shot so you actually can see roads and houses and civilization yeah, that's the yeah. thing too you have oh, this yeah. for people that have never been you yeah. just assume they're out in the middle of nowhere you do and, and you know what from from one perspective they are like when you look at um, the pyramids sort of um, face on from the the metropolis of Cairo which of course is um, Africa's largest city I mean there's in excess of five million people there um, you look at the pyramids and beyond the pyramids there's just sand for miles okay um, and that's where the city hasn't encroached on the pyramids themselves but if if you turn back and sort of look at it from another angle you've got the city sort of right on you so mm. there's you know, different ways in which you can get sort of images to ensure that you and your camel have got nothing but um, <laughs> sand sort of backing them and then of course in addition to the three pyramids you've then got the, the Queen's Pyramids, and then you've got the uh, the shed that houses the solar boat because they discovered a solar boat. The solar boat was to bring the pharaoh into the afterlife. So, um, I mean, we're talking four millennia old. I mean, mm. the, the, these pyramids are pretty old, but they're not the only ones. Um, you've also got, um, if you like, the precursor to these particular pyramids um, at a place called Saqqara, Saqqara, S-A-Q-Q-A-R-A, and Saqqara was pretty much 
the ancient sort of uh, necropolis for Cairo where they buried their dead. So there are a lot of um, um, very sort of resplendent sort of tombs located there. And also a lot of vestiges of scribes who took down sort of the orders of the day because scribing was what um, was used. They scribed on tablets and they used, of course, hieroglyphics. Um, and it's out there that you'll see pretty much the first pyramid ever created, and that's called the Step Pyramid, King Zosa's Step Pyramid. And they, they had to sort of um, do quite a lot to sort of like work out how to build something with sort of four even sides and allow it to be kept sort of upright. And there are very many examples that exist, not only around sort of uh, the Giza Plateau and Saqqara, but all the way down to the Mero Kingdom down in Sudan. Wow. So immediately sort of beyond sort of Giza, mm. in the distance, you'll see at least 15 to 20 pyramids, but none of them are of the size yep. that Cheops or Khafra is the uh, the Great Pyramid. And that, that is, is truly massive. In fact, it's lost nearly nine metres off the top of its uh, capping um, thanks to the fact that when it was produced it was covered in like a, a limestone sheath yep. and then of course it's been knocked and chiseled away you know over the millennia people have been using it you know for building sort of uh, uh, goods and things like that and there was also a capping at the top in solid gold as well wow so, yeah. what's the protocol with the pyramids is it a no touch policy is it can you get as hands on or how does it work when you people can, go to you Egypt can. You for can the go first right time. up to them of course and you could sit down on the, uh, the, the, the tumbled sort of rocks um, as they are sort of at the bottom but there's a no climb situation so I mean, if you were fortunate enough to have been a tourist in the uh, well, any time prior to the 1970s, you could climb them. But I'd, I'd argue that it's almost death-defying to mm. sort of do so. I mean, they're very vertiginous. With a little bit of backsheesh and a couple of backhanders and people looking the other way, people do still climb them. And there are modern-day pictures on Google showing people climbing to the top. Yep. At the top, you've got sort of very ancient graffiti. Lots of people have sort of inscribed in stonework. Um, you know, Mel was here or whatever <laughs> the case may be. But yep. um, you can actually go into any one of the three pyramids, they open them on a rotational sort of basis. Um, and you, for want of a better expression, you sort of crawl in more or less. I mean, they weren't built for little fat tourists like us to sort of come in and sort of have a poke around. So you're actually climbing through air shafts and things to get through to the uh, the inner hall where the king was, uh, or the pharaoh was um, was interred. So it's hot, thirsty work. You've got to bend over like a Jacob's ladder. Um, yep. It's pretty humid inside, no air conditioning, no souvenir shops, no, no. McDonald's inside or anything like that. Um, but you can go in and have a look around. So yep. and I think for most people, it's the magic of seeing them. It's like, hang on, I need to get up close and sure. personal to touch something as old as that. It's a little bit like if you go around the world and you see the Leaning Tower of Pisa, oh, but yeah. then you go inside yeah, and it's not quite as what you'd expect yeah. on the outside, I assume, maybe well, the it's, pyramids. I, I found that actually at a place called um, uh, St. Basil's Cathedral, that very whimsical Disney-esque cathedral in um, Moscow. I thought, I've got to go inside this place. I've yep. got to see it inside. And inside it was... It was a wet weekend. It was just okay. sort of, I don't know, terracotta floors yep. and whitewashed walls. It wasn't anywhere near as attractive as it was outside. But if you're in Egypt, yeah, yeah probably got to go inside. Oh, do you know what? Yeah, well, yeah, you, you, you do. You do and you don't. I mean, I didn't go for the first sort of couple of occasions and I got dragged in there by the hair by somebody very eager to go in. So I said, okay, look, I'll go in there. And do you know... Uh, Take it or leave it as regards going inside. I think it's I think it's all about sort of getting up close and personal to them, sitting on some of the rocks and taking some pictures from every which way. Your, your camera's never going to grow tired yep. of them, but you need never go to Egypt and not see them. You've got to see them. You've actually got to see them. In fact, you can't leave the planet without seeing them, yeah. to be quite honest. 
I think everyone should see the pyramids. One of the seven after. wonders of the world. The yeah. Sphinx close by, is that yeah. a walking distance, it is, driving yeah. distance? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you can get up um, close and personal to that as well. Um, a really interesting fact about the, uh, the Sphinx, the Brits used it as target practice in the 18th century and the pharaonic beard that used to hang off the Sphinx, because there is none now, yep. now sits in the British Museum. Is that so right? If you want to see a piece of that, um, but also the Rosetta Stone, yep. um, well, which of course was the uh, the deciphering of the uh, the hieroglyphics by Jean-Francois Champollion. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that basically unlocked the keys to Egypt, as it were. All of that sort of groovy stuff is kept at the Egyptian Museum. And that, I suppose, is one of the travesties of, uh, uh, of archaeology. A lot of people got their sort of um, hot little hands on a lot of this sort of stuff yep. back in the 18th, 19th centuries, and they occupy great museums across the world, everywhere from Boston and New York to mm. Berlin and London. But... There's still some amazing treasures and the most treasurable treasure of all. And that's, of course, uh, the treasures of King Tutankhamun. Correct. Now, that's the other photo that we see. When you think about the pyramids and you think about the Sphinx, you see that amazing, the golds and the blues of Tutankhamun. Where is all that situated? It's like a a lapis sort of colour. It's amazing. Well, right now, in fact, it's probably going to be just about in transit. Everyone's sort of sitting uh, with bated breath for the the inauguration of the the new Egyptian museum located at Giza. And that's going to house basically the entire Tutankhamun collection. So everything that was taken out by Howard Carter and his cronies yep. from the uh, the original tomb in uh, Luxor, all of it was housed at the Egyptian Museum, which, for want of a better sort of description, was a bit of a sort of a Victorian era sort of museum with sort of like um, some of the uh, the placards and information denoted in French, some in Arabic, a little bit in English, um, and it was broken into uh, at one stage or another, not, not fantastic security. So yep. the Egyptian government decided to uh, create a new um, uh, museum out at Giza and uh, it will, of course, showcase um, the boy king's um, treasures. Yeah. Everything from, uh, you know, several of the sarcophagi that he was interred in right down to the amulets and little cupulas that sat on his fingertips and, of course, the most breathtaking object of all, the, uh, the solid gold funerary mask, yeah. which brings new word, a new meaning to the word blue. I mean, this is pure lapis blue, absolutely extraordinary. And I think that's another one of those uh, sort of moments as well when you see it in uh, in real life. It it truly is as breathtaking as you imagine it to be. Mm. Uh, when you go out to the, the Louvre Museum in Paris and you see the Mona Lisa, a lot of people regard her and uh, and, and say... Oh, wow, isn't she small? And mm. she is indeed very small. Yep. You know, people have this kind of misconception that she's going to be a giant tableau and she's not. But the the funerary mask of uh, King Tutankhamun is just extraordinary. And I think what sets our minds on fire, I think our imaginations, is what if grave robbers and tomb robbers hadn't pipped us to the post? Yep. This is sort of proof of how much treasure there was um, interred in these tombs with the pharaohs to take them onto the afterlife. And we were just so fortunate. Yep to realise probably the greatest archaeological find of all. Geography-wise, where is that from? Okay. That's approximately nine hours by train okay. um, and at a place called Luxor. Okay. So you've got basically um, um, Cairo at the very top and mm-hmm. you've got the Nile Delta and then the uh, the lifeblood of the, the country, the Nile River, running all the way down to two major centres, Luxor and also Aswan. Luxor is very famous for the Valley of the Kings and the Valley of the Queens. Uh, the Valley of the Kings and the Queens are on basically the west bank of the river, mm-hmm. and that's the, the dead side. So it's where they buried their, their dead, the necropolis, what it were. And then, of course, you've got the east bank, which is very famous for the Temple of Luxor and the Temple of Karnak. Um, 
when you're over on the uh, um, the West Bank as well, you've got an amazing um, colonnaded, um, ramped sort of uh, looking sort of building, and it's known as the Temple of Queen Hatshepsut. Um, a lot of people say it's called the Temple of uh, Queen Chicken Soup because it right. sounds pretty similar. <laughs> and she was a, a pharaonic ruler. She was a, a female pharaoh, and she wore the pharaonic beard and the the hat and everything else. And she was one of the the very few rulers who were who were women and uh, were able to sort of rule for the day. So kind of like a a modern day Benazir Bhutto, Margaret Thatcher kind of uh, lady, yep. I suppose. So those are, are fantastic points to see um, down in Luxor. When you're over on the uh, the West Bank and you go to the Valley of the Kings, um, there are a number of uh, tombs open to go out and see. And I think one of the most um, um, interesting things about King Tutankhamun's tomb was it, it was thought as a boy king that he was knocked off, um, uh, that possibly, look, it could have been a mosquito bite, it could have died of malaria, but somebody, well, there are, there are soothsayers about that say that he was clubbed across the head and sort of interred fairly quickly. Where we say interred fairly quickly, it still took more than a year to get his tomb prepared and everything else but he was buried in such a hurry that all of his tomb was not adorned with the the usual sort of uh, uh, frescoes and things sure. like that that you would see sort of elsewhere so it's very unremarkable in that sense and it's one of these places where oh wow I've got to see the King Tutankhamun tomb and you get there it's like oh okay it wasn't that great yep. and, and and what is great about it though is the story behind it mm. when uh, when uh, Howard Carter chiseled his way into it um, at uh, Lord Carnarvon's behest and then found the treasures he did, that he did. And it's the treasures that are the true reward. Yep. So his body and his um, outer stone sarcophagi still, still sit in the tomb as they should do. Um, but if there are other tombs to see, I'd certainly recommend Amenhotep or uh, Akhenaten and any of the, the 10th and 11th dynasty kings. Um, they're all pocked all the way through the hills of the Valley of the Kings. So you're feeling like a real life Indiana Jones. Do you know what you pretty do? Pretty much do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like it's. Treasures. You know, I, I always desert. say uh, when you when you look at the, uh, the treasures of these people, like one of the one of the big guys, King Ramses II, who you can go and see down in um, um, Abu Simbel. That's the the very famous temple which was elevated up from Lake Nasser when uh, uh, the Nile Delta was flooded to create this lake. Jackie Kennedy said um, to uh, many Western rulers um, at the time, um, listen, if we don't do something about moving this temple up the banks, it's going to be submerged and lost forever. So modern man decided to move it piece by piece, block by block, further up the riverbank so yep. that we can see it today in its current state. But the temple um, which Ramses had created for himself and his wife Nefertari, one of the great uh, pharaonic wives, um, it was built to commemorate his uh, birthday and his coronation day. And the sun shines all the way through this hallway down towards the back of the temple. It does it twice a year. Modern man sort of mucked about and carved it all up and moved it up the bank. And this phenomenon still happens. It happens a day late. Is that right? Yeah. So um, it's, it's crazy. All of the sunlight cuts a swath all the way through the hyperstyle hall, yep. past all of his likenesses, down to the back to the four gods. And then there is a god, the god of Ptah, the god of darkness... And he sits completely in the dark because he's at such an angle where he's been placed by, yep. you know, pharaonic sort of technology and know-how to ensure that he will always be in darkness. He'll never be shrouded. It's incredible, isn't it? In anything but darkness rather than light. So you've got basically uh, King Ramses, and I, I digress, but um, Ramses um, was a, a fantastic sort of ruler. He was sort of like the uh, the Muhammad Ali, the, uh, hmm. I don't know, um, just, just, just a big dude to deal with back in the day. Um, and where he perhaps achieved his ability to go into the afterlife is when you see his mummified remains 
You know, no one's going to remember us in three or four millennia time. No. But we're still remembering him because you can see the mummy galleries as well. Mm. And those are located at the Egyptian Museum. So, you know, look, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to Egyptology. I'm really quite fascinated by all of the facts and the figures. I've been following it since I was about seven or eight. You know, yep. I, I lap it up. But that is one of the special things about Egypt. You know, you don't go to Egypt just to eat Arabic food or to uh, catch a bit of sun. Yep. It's, it's all about Egyptology. It's all about um, ancient Egypt and you're going to get that in buckets from the time you arrive in Cairo at yep. the, the pyramids in the Egyptian Museum to see some of the treasures that have been uh, um, secured for all mankind to see. And then, of course, the, the Valley of the Kings down at Luxor, uh, the Temple of Karnak. I mean, they've got these amazing stone columns in these temples. And just to sort of show us exactly how big these were and how they were created without any tractors or any kind of like um, equipment to sort of like ensure that they were erect... Uh, we gathered sort of around one of the uh, um, uh, the columns, gathered hands, and then he said, okay, come away and gather hands again. And it sort of gave us an idea of the vast circumference of this column. Like, it was amazing. Yep. It took 13 pairs of hands in a circle to show you how mm. thick this, this column was. It was just amazing. When you go to Egypt, you soak in all the history, yeah. as we're talking about, be it the pyramids, the Sphinx, Tutankhamun, mm. etc. Do you need to do experiences too while you're there? riding camels you know we don't yeah. often think about yeah. getting on a boat in egypt oh and... look yeah you, you need to go and ride a camel i mean um look i can't say they're my favorite animal to ride i mean i'm allergic to horses anyway but um camels it, it's the way they get up you know they they, yep. they, they they they're kind of a bit sort of wonky um and you hold on to the equivalent of a tennis ball the tennis ball that you're holding on to this kind of like round knob thing yep. is the difference between you and you falling off the camel i suppose <laughs> so you're hanging on hanging on like grim death anyway so definitely do that definitely buy a papyrus um papyrus i mean they, they basically invented paper so the papyrus reeds um mm -hmm. were used to create basically papyrus or uh, the ancient sort of paper that the egyptians eventually wrote on it's the turks that like to think that they put them to the post at pergamon with pagama with paper that the uh, the turks created and then subsequently vellum but it's uh the egyptians that created the uh the papyrus so and they do some amazing designs wicked designs and you can have your name um in hieroglyphics okay. inserted painted hand painted onto the papyrus that's very nice also um perfumed oils are a very popular purchase there and also your name on a cartouche and a cartouche is sort of like uh, again a um a kind of like oval kind of like sausage sort of shaped um, piece of jewelry and on it you have your name entered in hieroglyphics which okay. looks instantly attractive because you've got like a bird and maybe an eagle or something soaring around and it yep. spells out mill you know so you can get all that sort of stuff done um, uh, but the other thing as well is to um, to ride on the river Nile uh, the river Nile I mean it cuts its way all the way down to Uganda in um, um, lower Africa and it's um, to ride I suppose on the lifeblood of um, Egypt and Africa I guess on a Nile cruiser or even a felucca and a yep. felucca is a, um, a small masted sort of sailing vessel you can do them for the day out of um, Aswan some really popular trips out of Aswan around Kitchener Island and Ajalika Island um, and they're really worth going to uh, to get on just just to sort of gain that sort of ethos of the mm. the Nile sort of get back at um, one with nature and the surrounds that's really sort of worth doing as well we always tend to end these podcasts on food i don't know why that is the case <laughs> yeah. is there a delicacy yeah. is there a dish oh, yeah. is there a drink that we should be yeah, trying absolutely. if we're visiting absolutely egypt? well first of all one thing i would say is you can have a drink in egypt okay it's not one of those really draconian places where you can't have a uh, 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 you know alcohol beer and wine and stuff in fact they have a uh, a very palatable um, uh, lager beer served there it's served in a bright green bottle um, 
and it's uh, it, it's good for sort of like um, keeping the heat at bay. Um, but I would say um, in terms of food, kushari, K-U-S-H-A-R-I, kushari. First time I ever had this, I had it for four nights in a row. I loved it so much. And it's <laughs> it's lentils, it's rice, it's sort of crispy um, onions that are, that are flaked on top. Yep. Um, a curious sort of tomato we saw squirted on it. And it's just this basically sort of yummy kind of ricey sort of lentil dish steeped in a, a little bit of chicken stock and then served hot in cups. And it's sort of like a, a really lovely street food. Some people will go on and on about fulmadams, which are basically uh, the fava beans, and they're, 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 they're served in a variety of sauces in different ways. But they're a little bit like couscous. It leaves me a bit cold. Um, they're a little on the bland sort of side. But I mm-hmm. definitely say kushri. In fact, the whole cuisine is sort of like a, um, if you like, a, a bastardization of most sort of cuisine of the region, Lebanese, Persian, yep. Turkish, that sort of thing. So with a complete lack, of course, of um, any pork products, it's it's beef, it's chicken, it's lamb, it, that, it's that sort of thing. And a lot of people don't realize that um, Egypt is a very, very big producer of potatoes, tomatoes, um, strawberries, all those sort of things, because there are six amazing oases, Syrah oasis, um, um, uh, and a number of other oases that specialize in agriculture. So you've got some amazing um, crops. So you can eat almost anything yep. in Egypt. Um, one, one, one other thing I'd say as well is about the weather, okay? Um, it, it's hotter than Hades in the months of um, pretty much June, July, and August. Mm-hmm. And where I say it's hot, it's always officially 49 degrees in Aswan or Luxor. Right. Because as soon as it hits 50 degrees at the masthead of the newspaper, people bunk off work. And as our coach driver said, when we got back on in the car park at Luxor because they had all the coach engines running as we got back on. I said, wow, it's hot outside. And he says, always very hot in uh, Luxor. And I said, what's the temperature? And he said, "Um, 49 degrees. I said, but you're lying to me. I said, it says 55 degrees. He goes, no. He said, but if he said it said 50 degrees, he said we will be on holidays every day in Luxor. Is that right? Yeah. So um, it's only ever officially 49 degrees. So what they do, um, if you you happen to be there over the summertime and you might be going to Europe and stopping over in Egypt or whatever else, um, it's handy to go and do all of your sort of touring down in Aswan and Luxor in the morning. So if you're going to the Valley of the Kings, you'll head out there at about 8 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. where even then you're looking at uh, temperatures of 35, 40 degrees. Um, it's a very, very dry heat, not unlike the, the heats that we get here in Adelaide yep. um, in the high height of summertime. Um, best time to go really um, is anywhere between sort of September and April. So September, October are particularly lovely. Yep. And of course, March and April are really nice as well. So just from the perspective that you've got sort of uh, the spring sunshine sort of in Cairo where it is considerably cooler than it is down in the south. Um, but once you hit Aswan and Luxor in that June, July, August period, Oof. pretty darn hot. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. As you said earlier on this particular podcast, Melanie, everyone before we leave this earth, we yeah. all should visit Egypt. I really think so, yeah. Like it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been... More than a dozen times, and I, and I love it. There's always something new that I get out of it yep. every time I go out to Egypt. So, um, and there are there are really friendly people as well. I mean, don't forget for a minute that they're not actually Arabs; they're actually African, because Egypt doesn't sit in Arabia. It actually sits on continental Africa. So, but it has all of the le- the leanings of uh, yep. of its neighbours. You know, Jordan's just across the water. So it's a fantastic destination to combine with Egypt. So if you want to go out and do your real kind of Indiana Jones moment at the Rose City of Petra, it's worth combining a little bit of Jordan with Egypt. Doing it as well. Melanie Wynn, thank you so much for telling us about Egypt. Thank you, Lee.